Welcome to the Kentuckian, folks. Glad to have you with us. Howdy, y'all. We've got another special guest for you today here on the Kentucky, and very excited about this. We had a, a special guest last week, and that went very well. And today, I'm excited to introduce you to Mr. Hunter Lombatis. Hello. Thank you for having me on, Ryan. Thanks, Hunter. Appreciate it. I've known Hunter since our high school days. Uh, he had listened to some of our episodes, and he offered to come on and talk to us about the Catholic view on communism. Now, we've talked about the fundamental problems with communism quite a bit, especially earlier on in some of our episodes, and this certainly won't be the last time that we'll talk about it. But I thought that you all would be interested to hear this perspective on communism and what's, what's wrong with it. So, Hunter, why don't you introduce yourself uh, for us, give us a little bit of your background. Thank you. Yes, uh, I am from the same great state as uh, Ryan here. We went to high school together. Um, I was not always um, such a hardcore Catholic as I am now. I was raised going to an evangelical, non-denominational church. Uh, my family is still entirely uh, of that ilk. Uh, I converted to the Catholic faith starting around the age of 12, and it's been a journey ever since then. Uh, obviously, I didn't know everything that needed to be known at 12. Um, it took me a while to get to where I am today, but here I am. Um, currently, I'm just living and working in Kentucky, um, but I go to a church in Cincinnati uh, that is a really good parish that we might talk about later. So. All right, thanks. Uh, now, as, as we mentioned, you're going to tell us about the Catholic view on communism. And I have one question here, is this basically the, I guess what you might consider the official theological position of the Catholic Church, or is it more just based off of, of Catholic teaching and not necessarily like an official doctrine or stance? This would be based primarily on the statements and the teachings of the sovereign pontiffs, the popes, uh, over the centuries. Um, ever since the advent of communism in the 19th century, uh, the popes have raised their voice against communism, as have many different Catholic writers uh, and pol political uh, activists. Um, the official stance of the church... This, what I'm going to expound upon today, would be the official stance of the Church up until the 1960s. Okay. Um, up until the 1960s, the Church had a very firm and official stance on communism. In the 1950s, for example, Pope Pius XII officially excommunicated any Catholic that held the communist doctrine. Oh, wow. So essentially, if you were a communist or belonged to a communist party and you were a Catholic, you were automatically excommunicated. And real quick, for, for the listeners that may not be familiar, could you briefly explain what excommunication is? Of course. So excommunication means that you are cut off uh, from the body of the church. It's a punishment uh, for grave sin or heresy, but the church does not inflict it um, with... Uh, one, it doesn't inflict it willy-nilly. There's a very grave reason for it. And second, it's for the purpose of making that person wake up and realize... Uh oh, I, I've messed up here. I need to return to the church and do what the church has to uh, require of me to return to uh, the full communion. Okay, all right, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, so and one thing that's kind of interesting as I'm thinking about this, especially uh, a much more directly religious view, um, examination of communism, I should say, and why mm -hmm. or it may be right or why it might be wrong, and so. 
if I was talking about communism, I would go to scriptures like Second Thessalonians three verse twelve, "He that will not work, neither shall he eat," or, or a scripture like First Timothy five verse eight. If if someone doesn't provide for their own, especially for those of their own household, they've denied the faith and they're worse than an unbeliever. Um, the mm-hmm. scriptures have some very, very strong wording when it comes to people that aren't willing to work or that don't take care of their own, their, their family and, and those that they have a responsibility to. And I would even go to somewhere like Romans 13, uh, while the context of Romans 13 focuses on a Christian's relationship to government, it does very clearly lo- um, lay out what government is divinely authorized to do and to not do, to uphold what's good and punish what's evil, and not to, as we've seen in the, as the other scriptures I mentioned, you not necessarily just tell everybody what to do, to control their lives, to take care of their families for them. Those responsibilities are not given to, the, to government by God. Um, but, so I'm really interested to see kind of kind of where where I guess in in what you're saying the popes or the or Catholicism lines up on this, and uh, all I, all the main thing I know is that you said that it's not favorable towards communism, um, so I'm really interested to see and I, I will go into other factors as we talk about these sorts of things maybe not in this episode but in others as I have before where you know communism doesn't ever work in history and and there's reasons for that or or the ways that communism are fundamentally opposed to human nature, uh, but that is kind of a, to a certain degree, a separate issue. And this focuses more on the religious side. And I guess the theological, like why based off of religion is communism problematic. And in this specific case, Catholicism. So I'm really interested in what you have to say. So if I'm going to let you take it from here for now, if you want to go ahead and and jump into what you've got ready for us. Well, thank you. So the primary work that I would point to anybody who wants to see what the Roman Catholic church has to say about communism is the encyclical Divini Redemptoris uh, by Pope Pius XI. This was published in 1937, the topic being atheistic communism. Uh, He says in this in Article No. 4, quote, Ever since the days when groups of intellectuals were formed in an arrogant attempt to free civilization from the bonds of morality and religion, our predecessors overtly and explicitly drew the attention of the world to the consequences of the de-Christianization of human society, unquote. Also, just a little note, um, the popes, when they are referring to themselves, they refer to themselves in the royal we. So when, when I just read our predecessors, he's just referring to his own predecessors. Um, but that's neither here nor there. Um, what, so what we can draw from that is that atheistic communism is the result of centuries of liberal philosophy that divorces man from God, nature from the supernatural, and society from the social reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, One could also say uh, that liberalism is the result of Protestantism taking away the authority uh, from the church and attributing it to the individual man. Um, This is just a historical argument there, not necessarily a theological argument. I'm not here to debate Protestantism. But historically, one can see uh, liberalism leading to atheism, leading to communism. It's Uh, uh, if I'm going to jump in here real quick. It's a really interesting uh, point to bring out where there's a focus on separating uh, realms of humanity from other realms of humanity, separating man from God and those sorts of things. And and we've kind of talked about that a little bit on different episodes of the Kentuckian. But I do find it very interesting and very applicable that. One thing that communism does get at, even according to to the the Catholic Church or just some of the popes, is that it does 
it's an unnatural separation, right? There's obviously, there's all sorts of different realms of human life. You have social realms and family realms and political realms and the work realm and all, all these different areas. And of course, the religious realm and, and, and so on. But you can't really separate those oftentimes. And of course, you talk about humanism, at least modern humanism, where it, the whole point is to take God out of everything and, and then to try and separate these realms unnaturally, oftentimes, I guess, initially based off of humanism or the desire, again, modern humanism or the desire to, to split man from God, where, well, you know, the, the religious realm has absolutely nothing to do with the political realm or, or the social realm has absolutely nothing to do with the religious realm or the political realm. And as humans, we're so complex and interconnected that you can't separate those things and expect to have a, a good result. And you get into postmodernism, you even get into something that I haven't talked about much, but I have occasionally kind of the some of the flaws of modern libertarian thought and, and things like that. So anyway, I'll let you get back to it. I just thought that was a really interesting point. Uh, that, that exactly. Already and that's a, exactly. And that's a good point. Um, the great error of the humanists and the liberals uh, in the, I would say, uh, the 18th century leading into the 19th century was that they tried to separate reality from reality. They tried to divorce the supernatural from the natural. Um, looking at things purely through natural reason, human reason, human wisdom, instead of looking to the answers provided by God. Um, one of the things that Pius XI says in this encyclical is that the greatest argument against communism the greatest proof against communism, is the existence of God. That's the primary thing that communists attack uh, when you look at history in the Soviet Union, in China. Uh, they always go after religion. Um, that's a, that's a very good point. A very good point. And it's because God, if there is no God, we can treat human beings however we want to treat them because we don't have to be afraid of um, keeping the commandments or afraid of punishment in the next life or how I treat my neighbor. Um, and there's no uh, dignity of man that you have to respect. Uh, you can, you know, kill the kulaks as much as you want or, you know, kill and oppress the landowners as much as you want if there is no God. And the church had observed the problems of communism at the very outset of it in the middle of the 19th century. Uh, Pius IX, in 1864, referred to it as, quote, that infamous doctrine of so-called communism, which is absolutely contrary to the natural law itself, and if once adopted, would utterly destroy the rights, property, and possessions of all men, and even society itself, unquote. And he said that in 1864. And what an apt description of what would come in communism. Absolutely. Communist Absolutely. And we see that happening years later in 1917 in Russia, uh, in the 1940s with uh, the People's Republic of China, and pretty much any communist state that's existed. They destroy the rights, the property, and the possessions of all men and society itself, because the old order has to be completely gotten rid of in order to set up the new order um, of communist utopia. That's an excellent point, and that was something that... Uh, I guess when when you get down to it, and, and I've read a little bit of Marx, uh, I haven't read a whole lot of what he said, but one of the things is that 
you have to remove everything. You have to change everything. And and we had an early taste of, of that in sort of a kind of a prototype when in the French Revolution, where it, in the American Revolution was very much focused on both government and law and religion. One thing the founding fathers believed in was the existence of both natural or the law of nature and the law of revelation. So the the things that we do learn from reason, right? The things that we can as as God's creatures figure out and understand because he gave us that capacity. And then the law of revelation, the the Bible, right? And those mm-hmm. two things were in you couldn't have one without out the other. And you mentioned that with uh kind of separating realities, right? And uh the French Revolution, they tried to have the law of nature, basically, and they left the law of revelation out of it. And it turned in, well, of course, France has been in more or less a state of continuous chaos since the French Revolution. And, of course, the, the insane amounts of blood that were shed and how quickly the, the French Republic went to tyranny. And then much of their history after that has been one revolution or one major change in the form of government after another. And it really stems back to where they didn't focus on truth. And that's one of those things where communism, uh, excellent point that was made, communism denies absolute truth. Because if you can deny God, you can deny absolute truth. And if you can deny absolute truth, you can do anything. You can justify anything. And that's something that I've been planning on talking about, probably a whole episode on the Kentucky and soon. But the necessity of absolute truth to justify any position that you hold, any belief that you hold, any any anything at all has to be based off of some sort of standard. And, and all of nature points to the fact that there is a standard, um, but people like Marx and Lenin and Stalin and, and Mao and, and all these others and many modern socialist philosophers and everything today out and out deny the idea of absolute truth. But they also try and it's interesting to talk to some people and they still try and say that there's a moral code, but you can never define it. And when you if you find someone that's really honest, if you ask them about the cultural revolution in China, where where millions, probably hundreds of millions of people were murdered and and all the purges and and the, the, the slaughter in Russia during especially during Stalin's time, but even during Lenin's time and and so on, you can. And honestly, bringing it home, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, but the Holocaust and, and the, the atrocities that the Nazis committed during World War II, you, exactly. you, can't, you can't say that it's wrong. You simply can't. What the Japanese, oh, that's a whole nother, what the Japanese did, the, the rape of Nanking and, and all the things that they did to prisoners, both prisoners of war and, and civilians. And you can never say that anything is wrong. And th- that's the, it's an interesting thing, I think, about the way that God designed the world, that you either have his word, you either have truth based off of what he said and the way that he ordained the world around us, or it is a total free-for-all. You cannot say anything is wrong. And and I think that that's, a, a, again, a, a great point, but very applicable as well in, in ways that perhaps people haven't always thought of it, especially being in the United States. We're relatively peaceful, even when we've had the, the, the BLM riots and, and various unrest. Compared to most of the world, it stays pretty tame, even when you're talking about a lot of property damage, and that's not to justify it. But we, it's easy for us to get... Um, careless with uh, the way a lot of people have to live in, in the world and the effect that the the more egregious effect that the lack of, of truth and 
government basically being turned in or taking the place of, of God and all these different things have on people's lives, often taking their lives, if not out and out just making them miserable and, and oppressing them. Exactly. And to your point, the move away from absolute truth started with these humanist liberal philosophers like John Locke that said that reality can't be really known. Reality doesn't really... It's just a projection of my own mind. Everybody has their own truth. Um, I remember hearing a story from a teacher of mine, uh, Bishop Donald Sanborn. He was giving a talk at a college, and he pointed out the window and said, is that tree there or not? And he was asking this to one of the liberal students, and the students were saying, well, I don't really know if that tree is there. And the bishop said, well, if you ran up against it and smacked your face against it, then would you know if the tree is there? And he said, no, because that would just be a projection from my mind, and reality can't really be known. And the bishop said his jaw hit the floor, essentially, at that point. Yeah, um, yeah that's, it, a, that's a great point. And, uh, and I, I think it's interesting you mentioned Locke, because Locke was very influential to the Founding Fathers. And even like somebody like Thomas Paine, I've read a little bit more of Thomas Paine, and very influential in helping people to really— uh, zero in on perhaps, I, I guess, the logical side of, of why you should consider fighting the British in that case and all these different things. And uh, mm -hmm. and yet when you read especially what Thomas Paine had to write later in his life, it really starts to get out there. And there's also yeah. that, that I, I, this is slightly off track, but I do want to make a quick sad point there. Um, because it's great and uh, to point out John Locke and, and people that were influential to the Founding Fathers. And we need to understand something that our culture has lost is that somebody can end up going off the rails. Somebody can end up saying some things that you don't agree with or are out and out wrong, but that doesn't mean that they aren't true in some things. And just because they did something you didn't like or they did something even wrong, that still doesn't mean that they're wrong in every little thing. And that's where you get back to truth, right? You take the person out of it. Like, okay, I respect them for what they said, but also they did some pretty messed up stuff or whatever the case might be. But even a serial killer can say something that's true. He may lie a lot, and he probably does lie a lot. But if he says something that's true, it's true whether you like it or not, and it's true just whether he said it or not. And that's something that we... I really think have lost in, in a lot of areas where we have to take the person out of it to a certain degree. That's obviously there's still a fat, there's still uh, effects of a person's personality and character there. You know, it's one of those things. If somebody's a perpetual liar, well, you're probably not going to trust them. That doesn't mean they can't say something true, but of course their character has shown that they're not likely to say something true. It's not to say you take the person out completely, but when you focus on truth, regardless of who says it, then it, uh, it's an important thing to be able to, I guess, really to to understand other people's perspectives and to actually grow. Because if not, you stagnate into only what you know a hundred percent. If that makes sense, I guess only who you trust a hundred percent, which um, is is I guess somewhat of a separate issue. But that's a little bit of a sad point. But I did want to bring that up because we kind of get into that and bringing out where even the effect, perhaps negative effect, of some of these people that contributed a lot of good, say to the United States mm -hmm. history in in particular. That doesn't mean that we should disregard them, one, but it also doesn't mean that we should just listen to everything that they say uh, because they they can still have written and said things that were wrong or at least problematic. Right, exactly. Ideas have consequences. Um, yes. When you, John Locke had some good ideas, uh, as we see in the American system. 
Um, and I don't think the American system is perfect, but I think it's the best at a bad job. That's how I would describe it. Right, um, yeah. But speaking of ideas having consequences, um, going back to what we talked about earlier with getting rid of the old system, getting rid of everything from the old order to create a new order, um, that is typical of Hegelianism. Marx was a, stu a student of Hegel. And one of Hegel's main ideas was material and dialectical materialism. Um, Pius XI goes on to call this uh, the doctrine where there is only in the world only one reality, matter, the blind forces of which evolve into plant, animal, and man. Sounds familiar. Naturalism, materialism, that the only thing that really exists are the things that you can... Uh, experience through your five senses. Um, and Hegel applied this to mean that just as in nature, society evolves through a series of dialectical conflicts or struggles. Marx adapted this to class struggle between the property and means of production owning capitalist class, the bourgeoisie, and the poor working class, the proletariat, who must overthrow the upper classes. The aim of communists is to hurry along this struggle to bring about a synthesis, a new world order of total communism, no where there is no state, no money, no private property, and ultimately no God. Um, how do you get to that? Uh, Bolshevistic communism, which is best exemplified in the Soviet Union and in the early days of uh, communist China, uh, demands a dictatorship of the proletariat. Uh, to eradicate the bourgeoisie and their power and everything from the old order and to pave the way for this communist utopia. Um, this is what is often called Leninism uh, because it originates with Vladimir Lenin uh, in the 20th century. And you can best see that in his book, The State and Revolution. Um, the idea that you need a state with total and unreserved power in order to crush an entire class of people, um, an entire group of people. You don't just see that in communism. You also see it in what is often called a far-right ideology, uh, Nazism or National Socialism. So this idea of totalitarianism is not only reserved to communism, but can be found in other places as well. Yes, it, it basically is an enshrining of the state in the place of, of God. And... Uh... The, uh, fascism, which where they define it as far right, it is. I I, I always hesitate a little bit because in, when you look yeah. at what they teach, it really does line up much more on on the left. But I understand why they say that, where it focuses so much more on an ex, an extremist quote unquote preservation. I use that term loosely of the past, right? And it's one of those things where it, when you look at it, it really is more manipulating our perceptions of our of our heritage and our past to, to justify anything again once again bringing in that idea of taking away truth and you can do anything that you want uh, but uh, but yeah it, it is it is a common problem with people and that's something that also again we forget and one of the issues with with Hegel and and Marx and and this idea of bringing a utopia here on earth because when you take God out of the picture you also lose sight of the reality that our problems come because of sin and that we have 
truth in the Bible and the Word of God, and of course, before the Bible was fully revealed, God revealed His will in other ways, but we had the will of God, and human history is a record of the cycle of kind of what happened in the Old Law, or in the Old Testament with, with the children of Israel during the period of Judges. They'd fall into sin, they'd be oppressed, they would turn back to God, they'd have good times, and then they'd fall back into sin. And that's really that's really a microcosm of what history is because it all goes back to truth because we have what we need, we're humans, and we tend to be selfish, and Satan's always working to try and bring us down, and so we tend as culturally to swing towards evil and sin, and then we'll eventually things will get bad enough, and we'll we'll swing back towards righteousness. And 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 when you look at history as cyclical, then this whole idea of let's make this heaven on earth where everything that we once knew is gone because humans figured out how to do everything right, it it starts to well one you realize that it's not really practical, it's not biblical, and also it, it starts to get almost ridiculous in this idea of like, yeah, the the issue with everything in the past is humans are corrupt and humans are uh, making bad decisions, but now if we just get rid of everything and start over, humans will all of a sudden make perfect decisions to be perfect people. And uh, it's again, I think it's good that you mentioned that communism isn't the only thing that teaches that, but uh, it, it denies that important element of just being human at this point of being of humanity in general uh, exactly when whenever man steps away from god he is opening the door for all sorts of possibilities for evil let's just call it for what it is evil um when you step away from truth you begin stepping into error um getting away from reality you embrace you know all sorts of fictions um the idea that you can create on earth this perfect utopia where there is no need for a state no need for you know currency and no need for private property that's a fantasy right and that's because the communist denies that there's a heaven every man when you read in the catechism why did god make you to love know and serve him and to be happy with him forever in heaven Every human being has that desire for perfection. Um, and when you turn that away from what it's meant to lead you to, which is heaven forever, you will begin to create substitutes. Um, you think your perfection is in you know, your career or in you know, the pleasures of this world um, or in political success or in a utopia. Communists are not the only ones who want a utopia. Right. Um, there, there have been socialist utopians before who create these little compounds, uh, cultists who try to create a religious utopia here on Earth, um, things like that. Um, and one of the principal errors, and I can't repeat this enough, of communism is it denies the existence of God. And the existence of God is not so much a religious fact as it is something that you can know by reason. Uh, St. Paul talks about this in the Bible, that you can know the existence of God through reason alone. The fact that we exist. Uh, if you know anything about St. Saint, Saint Thomas Aquinas, he talks about the first mover. Um, we had to come from somewhere. Right. Uh, well, back in and, Romans 1, verse, uh, I think it's verse 28, or verse 20, but back in Romans 1... Uh, it, it directly says that people can know God through nature so that they're without excuse. 
and talking about the way that the kind of the a short history of of the Gentiles before um, before the the establishment of the church and everything, and just flat out says you can know God, and you don't have an excuse because of everything that He's provided around us. And uh, I don't I think that's something that should not be underemphasized at all. No, we can know the existence of God purely through reason, purely through logic. Now we may not know everything about God, right? Through- and that's why there's a need for supernatural revelation. You cannot reason your way, for example, to the Trinity. You can't know by reason that God is one in three divine persons. Um, that has to be revealed by God to us men in our weak faculties. But at the height of our weak faculties, we can know that there's a God. Um, and that's the sheer insanity of communism at the very outset, that it denies God's existence. And, I must say, the sheer insanity of so many people today. People are walking away from God in the droves, uh, agnostics, atheists, or they live as though there were no God. We see that in people in the state today who make themselves God and think that they can decree, I think, illegal and unconstitutional things, and things which go against, I think, the moral law as well. Um which I don't want to get you shut down, so I'm not going to name specifically, but I think, <laughs> you know, I think people know what I'm talking about. Um, the government thinks it can assume all of these roles and all of these powers as if there were no God that they have to be accountable for, accountable to, excuse me. Yes, um, and it's it's interesting, too, because where you mentioned that and you mentioned, you know, that... The, humanity wants to in communism to well not just communism but in communism get rid of government and get rid of property and all these different things mm-hmm. and even mention what one of the popes had, had talked about that specifically the ironic part about all of it and you see this with any uh, philosophy human philosophy that takes this sort of stance but especially in communism because it's been so common over the last several um, decades or even I guess about a century at this point where it's really caught on in some areas is it is perhaps the greatest, the, the practice of communism is perhaps the greatest evidence to its failure and its fiction. Because every time we have communism, one, it turns into a bloodbath. It, you can see it never turns out the way that they say it should. But also what happens? The government owns everything. People are corrupt. There's, there's still a ruling class. There's still a government to keep everybody in check. There's still property. It's just nobody owns it except the, the elite. Nobody owns it except the people in charge and the people that have the final say and everything. Everybody else is just out in the cold, <laughs> both literally and figuratively. Um, and uh, and its failure and the way that it fails shows exactly what we're talking about, that you can't get rid of these things because that's the way that, that God ordained it. And so even when communism is supposedly better than God, supposedly above God, if you will, right? We don't need God. We don't need religion. We don't need truth. And yet it always comes back to those very same things every time. Exactly. Exactly, and it denies religion, but it creates its own religion. Exactly. Um, The state becomes God, uh, the party line becomes your doctrine, um, and you just have to unhesitatingly and unquestioningly believe everything that the state tells you um, about the outside world, um, about how things are. There's the story of, in Cuba, uh, during, well, this was after the revolution, um, these guard, these soldiers were going into a classroom, and they were telling the children, 
that there was no God. And their proof was, okay, children, if there is a God, he'll answer your prayers. So pray to God for candy. And the children prayed to God for candy, and no candy came. And so they brought up a picture of Castro and said, okay, now pray to Castro for your candy. And the children did, and the soldiers brought in these buckets full of candy. And it, it, it's, it's sheer insanity, and it, it's kind of a comical illustration of it, of a much larger idea, that you never get rid of God or religion. You just replace him with something else. Absolutely. And uh, it is, uh, you mentioned like it's a poor substitute, and it's ironic. You know, you look at Cuba in particular or, or any communist nation, and and all they, the kids prayed to, to Castro for candy, and yet we see within a few years people are starving, right? And they can pray to yeah. Castro all they want, and because they've rejected God, there's no candy coming. There's no bread. There's no soup. There's nothing. You're just going to starve to death, probably. And we see that in Venezuela. We've seen that, which is more socialist, but um, but still a lot of the same principles. And, of course, the Soviet Union and, and China. And it's it's a very, very poor substitute. And uh, and that's something that, uh, again, in, in America, I think we, we it's easy for us to forget because we just— I'm not saying it can't happen by any means, but we just don't, we historically have not dealt with those kind of hardships. And, uh, and to, to be in that kind of position because you've rejected God and we've had our own problems because we rejected God, but not necessarily where you're, Mm -hmm. you can, you can beg the state all you want and they just can't provide anything because they will never ever come close to replacing God. And, and, uh, interesting point. And I guess in some ways, uh, morbidly ironic as well um, with the child with the children and the candy and and how it how it ended up in a few years within years or maybe months after that exactly and you see people today already in our co- own country uh looking to the government in that type of way the nanny state it's been called right uh, yeah where you just live off of handouts and the government's supposed to do everything for you from work to health care um and, you know, the health care that the government is insisting we get now, you don't have a choice in it. It's, uh, in many places, it's mandatory. They're starting to peel back from it now. I think New York uh, announced that they were no longer requiring the green card for going into businesses and things like that. But the threat is still there, that the government thinks that it can mandate what you put into your own body. Yeah, and there was a there was a precedent set and and something that we have not people people I I do think people are starting to wake up and I, I do want to say that but at the same time there's an extremely dangerous precedent or several extremely dangerous precedents that have been set, mm-hmm. set both in state and federal government that that you could control something of that magnitude when data shows us if we're will if we're honest enough and willing to look at at the data and also the logic of the situation and the contradictions of, of those in power and so on and so forth, that um, it, it's one I've heard, you know, I've heard arguments about, um, say, a measles vaccine or, or things like that, where I've heard a decently strong argument. I'm not saying I agree with it, but it, at least there's a case to be made. But in the case that we're talking about, that there really is no case to be made and that it, it, it establishes an extreme amount of control over 
the individual, right? The government over the individual and the, the very perhaps some of the most private decisions that can ever be made by an individual and their medical decisions and how they deal with with illnesses and, and those sorts of things. And we've seen where that takes us to, uh, it, and it will take us to eventually if it's not stopped, in places like Australia and Canada. Canada is a great example, um, perhaps even more than Australia for Americans, because what is it that, that uh, happened with, with the convoy that was going over there? Well, Canada just decided to, to shut down their bank accounts and, and to, to make it where they can't purchase things. And, and uh, of course, that's all you're starting to get into cashless economies and those sorts of things. But uh, they just, they, they hung them out to dry. They, they started tracking them and they've said they're going to go after them even after they left and, and all these different issues. And of course, in, in some cases, literally beating people down because they didn't go along with this policy. Well, I guarantee you getting beat getting beat silly with a nightstick is not a good uh, health choice either. And, no. um, and of course cares. the irony, the irony isn't a lot. You're right. Right. The government cares for you. They're beating the you. Government for cares so much yeah, about yeah. well-being that it's willing to, uh, beat you with a nightstick and stomp on your face. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But and, this, and that gets to where education is so important because when you mentioned, well, what did they do when they're trying to convince these kids in Cuba? They go to they go to kids, right? They go to they go to children that haven't fully developed the ability to comprehend these things and are learning those things. And you talked about a lot of people in this country that are, you know, kind of into the nanny state and hearing some of the arguments that have been made economically, socially, especially economically, perhaps is the most egregious. But basically, a lot of these people basically believe that the government just generates this stuff out of thin air. And that is not an exaggeration. They they do not understand that everything comes from somewhere. And they think, well, maybe the government can keep printing money or they can just make basically make food spontaneously appear. And they they don't use the phrasing I do, but that's basically what they say. Well, can't the government just give people more money? Well, no, the money comes from somewhere. and Money has value for reasons that are far, far removed from the government. And yet, because of what would be both a failure of the education system um, pre-college and a success of the education system post-college, at least the success in what the people that that make most of the decisions want, um, and, mm-hmm. and kind of brainwashing and, and destroying critical thinking and that sort of thing. And I can tell you, I'm right in the middle of it. I'm in college. I see it. And I, there's plenty of other cases, too. I'm not the only one. Where you get people that can live in fantasy and not understand why it's fantasy and not understand the world around them with children that makes sense that's natural that's part of them learning and their brains developing and that's okay right i mean we have the responsibility to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the lord but that's a process they're growing that that's fine but if you can do that with adults if you can convince people to to believe the lie just because and there is no evidence and there is no reasoning there is no logic to it then you have the kind of people that can fall for these sorts of ideas, especially when you're talking about taking a developed, post-industrial, profitable, um, overall extremely blessed culture and people and bring them down to the level of communism, basically serfdom and slavery, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and the only way you can do that is by speaking, frankly, dumbing them down enough to actually not think about what's going on around them and not think about the very kinds of things that we're talking about. But at the same time, and I want to counter it with counter my own point, people have the ability to learn no matter how, 
how far down the rabbit hole you've gone when it comes to to the sorts of things that we're talking about and and brainwashing because i mean that is it's like textbook brainwashing in many cases and destroying critical thinking if people have the right heart if they have the right desire they can figure it out they can find truth i mean that's part of the reason i do the kentuckian right i'm not necessarily i'm not saying i'm not talking to any i'm not necessarily talking to a lot of atheists or or or, mm-hmm. or far leftist but even then even if i'm not talking to them and and they certainly can learn i 100 believe that but also the people that i'm talking to are people just like you and me and they just need a little bit of, of help figuring things out so they can quantify it better. And then they can talk to their, their sons or daughters, or they can talk to their friends at work, or they can talk to their family members and know what they believe and why they believe it because there's been a fundamental destruction of the why for your beliefs, of the why for your actions, and so on, and that gets to truth, right? Because our why, our motivation comes from truth. And the only way you can really... Um, destroy that motivation is to destroy your belief or your knowledge of the truth. And that goes right back to what we've been talking about with, with communism and, and some of the key issues that even the Catholic Church and the popes have, have noted about it. Exactly. A man desperately wants the truth. Uh, yes. It's best exemplified by Pontius Pilate. He asked our Lord, quid est veritas, what is truth? Now, he walked away immediately after he said that. Right. What modern man needs to do is wait for the answer and accept the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, which communism denies. Yes. It's great error. Its main error is historical and dialectical materialism, which, as I've said, means a denial of the existence of God. The other main errors of communism, which make it contrary to the natural law, really, um, it denies the right of man to private property. As an independent person, it just comes logically with common sense that you have a right to your own stuff. You right. have a right to private property. To say, this land is mine, this house is mine, the things that I uh, use in my business to make money for myself are mine. My own money is mine. Um, communism wants to obliterate all of that and say, no, it's the state's. Right. And you have no right, you know, it's kind of like Obama saying, you didn't build that. Yeah. (laughs) But you don't have a right to your own product, your own property, your own home. It's sheer insanity. And you see in communist thought, they, they struggle with this. So that in some communist philosophers, they have a distinction between personal property and private property. Personal property means... You can mercifully have your own car, and you can thank the state for that. Uh, you know, that the of state course, merc- yeah. <laughs> exactly that the state has, in its infinite mercy, deigned to allow you to have a car. Um, but lands, the means of production, those aren't yours. That's the state. And it's interesting because that goes right back to the point that was made earlier about where communism fails. It, it kind of proves the point that we're making. Because what is it? Okay, well, they see, well, you can't, like, not have property, right? That's impossible. So then the state gives it to you. Well, now, wait a second. That sounds an awful lot like the whole Christian idea that, um, yes, we own things, but we understand that all property comes from God because at the end of the day, he owns everything. And, yes, property is a biblical concept, but he's the one that has the final say. He's the one that, that in the end, owns it all. 
and and then it comes down to well we have property too but instead of instead of god it's the state right and uh, that's a uh, again a little bit of irony there but it, it also in a sense should make sense because as you mentioned we want the truth and when we when we reject the truth then we replace it with some poor um, some poor substitution and just like in in thousands of years ago with with paganism they didn't get rid of God they made their own gods and they modeled them after animals or man or whatever the case might be and they never got rid of the concept of God they just tried to replace it so in some ways it simulated God in some ways it, there were there were characteristics that were the same but it wasn't him and it's the same thing that we see with communism where they try and replace God or anytime we replace God we end up making our own and oftentimes it gets a lot closer to a, a religion than a lot of, of uh, modernists want to admit <laughs> exactly and to your point what is the act of replacing God with something else? It's idolatry. Exactly. So with what you see in ancient Phoenicians and Egyptians and Romans worshipping statues, and think, oh, that's very silly. But statolatry is very much real and very alive. It was alive in the 20th century with National Socialist Germany and Bolshevik Russia. It's alive today with the concept that leftists have of the state. Um where the state should be all-powerful, all-consuming, and should provide you with everything, um, and dictate to you whatever it wills. Um, exactly. That's the nature of totalitarianism. And the Church has always, always had problems with totalitarianism. In the Middle Ages, I would say the precedent of totalitarianism was seen in um, absolutism. You see the absolute monarchs. Uh, Think of Gallicanism in France and Henry VIII in England. Um, the church had always condemned that. Um, the church was more in favor of the feudal system at that period. It never endorsed absolute monarchy in any way. Um, it always had problems in states where there was an absolute monarch. Um, in Austria, when there was Joseph I, um, the church's rights were severely limited. In France, with Philip the Fair, the church's rights were severely limited. Why? Because the state was seen to have all the power over everything, the church and the state. And communism does that as well. Uh, the, in China, for example, religion is allowed, but only certain approved religions. And often branches of those religions that are totally in the pocket of the state. Um, recently, well, here's a little history. Uh, to back it up. When the communists came to power in China, the Catholic hierarchy basically had to go underground. Um, the bishops and whatnot. And this the, would have, real quick, this would have been back in the mid to late 40s, right? Correct. And the Chinese government set up their own hierarchy of Catholic bishops that were invalidly ordained and consecrated, and Pius XII excommunicated the lot of them. Um, the and the church has always said, okay, the true church in China is the underground church, not the state boosted and approved of church. Huh, I, in, I didn't know about that. It makes sense, but I, I don't think I'd ever heard that. Exactly. Well, in recent years, um, Jorge Bergoglio, also known as Pope Francis, has recently reconciled himself with the Chinese Communist Church um, and totally stabbed in the back the underground Catholic Church. Um, 
I do not regard this man as a valid pope, so that's why I refer to him as Bergoglio. Um, because in order to be pope, you have to be Catholic. That's a whole other uh, rabbit hole. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> uh, I, I, do, I do not regard Bergoglio as the pope, and I don't think we have a pope right now. I think that we're in a state where we're in between the, the death of one pope and the election of another pope. That's a very short way of putting it. And to be pope, you have to be a Catholic. I don't think Bergoglio is a Catholic, especially if he stabs in the back the true church in China and approves of communists who, according to Pius XII, are automatically excommunicated simply by the fact they're communists. Um, yeah. But that's, that's just a side note about the Catholic Church's relations with communism. It, um, it reminds me a little bit of um, the story when, um, what was it, Biden and a few others in, in government were refused mass, I believe, uh, because uh, of their, their views on abortion, I believe. Exactly. Uh, just, uh, Joe Biden and politicians like Nancy Pelosi are nominal Catholics, but they, they directly contradict the Catholic Church's teaching on uh, abortion and homosexuality. Um, and for that reason, some brave priests uh, have refused them communion, because if you go against the Church's teachings like that, um, you should not be allowed to receive Holy Communion publicly, because that's a public statement of communion with the Church. Right, and, if you're in, and as a politician, you have an obligation to publicly uphold the teachings of the church. Yeah, and I mean that makes sense. I, I guess to to put it in in a little more in a different illustration, it's like if you're going to play on a basketball team, and then you're going to play by the rules of football. Well, are people going to be upset that you get kicked off of the basketball team? Like, if if you claim to be a basketball player, then you're going to have to follow the rules of basketball. If you claim to be a Catholic then you got to follow what the Catholic Church says. And uh, in some ways, that shouldn't seem like such a, a difficult concept, but it gets back to what we've been talking about, where you can eliminate truth, you can eliminate—if you can eliminate that fundamentally, then, well, how could a church deny uh, religious services to one of its members? Well, they're, they're, they're in open rebellion to what the church teaches. That shouldn't they're, be all that weird to, to understand. Exactly. I mean, they're more than welcome to repent. They're more than welcome to retract their errors and go to confession and change their stances. Then they'd be more than welcome to receive the sacrament of the Eucharist. But right now they're not. So the church can't give the real body and blood, soul and divinity of Jesus Christ to people who are public sinners and who right. refuse to step down from their sin. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it also makes sense that of the people that would have the, the at least the most obvious problems with that, it would be politicians because they're not interested in truth. They're not interested in morality or a stance on anything, right? Their, their point is to gain power and money and to have the right optics. And so they go to they go to mass, they go to these services because of the optics. It doesn't mean anything to them. And their actions show that, right? When they when they claim to be Catholic and then they just disregard teachings that are inconvenient politically, yeah. well, that shows that they're not sincere Catholics. But right. they like the, the, the feeling that they are because the large, a large number of Americans are still very religious, or at least somewhat religious, and they want that optic of... of, of um, it's false, but the optic of being religious and moral people. Right, because you also want to appeal to the demographics, right? Uh, exactly. Uh, the Catholic voter. 
It's like, oh, Joe Biden's a Catholic, so I'm going to vote for him, even though all of his policies are in direct contradiction to the teachings of Holy Mother Church. But he's a Catholic nominally, so I'll vote for him. Or right, Nancy. Yeah. I, I'm very sorry that, you know, quote-unquote Catholic politicians in this country are the likes of Biden and Pelosi. They are not representatives of the Catholic Church. And what does the, the so-called hierarchy of the church do? Nothing. Biden has not been excommunicated, neither has Pelosi, and Bergoglio has told Biden in private that he can receive Holy Communion. So, just further showing that, uh, that that institution, I don't believe, is really the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Um, as these are people who are in direct, co- just like Biden is, so is Bergoglio and all these bishops. Yeah, yeah. So, and uh, it's something where in America in particular, we've been so browbeaten into not, not, not even being willing to say that. And I write, well, that opinion's controversial. Well, who's it controversial to? (laughs) And and it gets like, well, if you're a Catholic, isn't that what you should believe? And instead we don't even want to say our opinion half the time or say our belief or go to the scriptures or whatever the case might be, because we're afraid somebody might be offended by it. Well, I mean, there's truth and there's not, and we have to, of course, we want to do it respectfully. We want to, you know, we want to be tactful and our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, but that is very different from just not saying what's right or saying the truth or saying our beliefs. Exactly. And And the way I would, the way I would put it, Biden flashes a rosary sometimes. I wonder how, if he knows how to pray it. That's well, let's be honest. Uh, whether he did it one time or not, I'm pretty sure he doesn't know how to pray it now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, back to other communists. Uh, the other principal error of communism that makes it opposed to the natural law is that it denies the right ordered structure of society as being syncretic rather than a ruthless struggle. Um, you can read more about that in the encyclical Rerum Novarum by Pope Leo XIII, which he published in 1891. The gist of it is that there should not be this ruthless struggle between the upper classes and the lower classes, but rather this cooperation between the two, where they work for each other's benefit, neither group exploiting or persecuting the other. Um, because, let's be honest, under capitalism, uh, and I would quantify that by um ruthless capitalism there has been exploitation of the worker oh absolutely Uh, we just had an episode on that a few weeks ago exactly capitalism is not the best system there are abuses many times um i remember a story from uh the iron the copper uh mines in uh, i think it was michigan in the upper peninsula there was a man who was fired from his job because he went to his mother's funeral and took time off of work. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, this was in the early 20th century. But that's the thing which drove people into communism. They said, okay, capitalism, it's a real problem. Capitalism is actually exploiting workers. What's the answer? Communists say it's to overthrow the upper classes and create this uh, workers' paradise. What the church says is that no, both classes should work together for each other's benefit. And if you have a Catholic capitalist or a Catholic boss, he has an obligation to give you a livable wage and to not exploit you 
to not oppress you. And the worker has the obligation, the Catholic worker has the obligation to do the work that's expected of him and to not, you know, shirk his duties, to not just expect a handout. Um, so that's, that's one of the other main errors of communism, that it denies this syncretic method, uh, syncretic way that society should be ordered. Yeah, and and that's a really great point because well, one thing actually I guess we talked about in that um in that episode was it comes down to individuals, right? If individuals are um moral enough to to fulfill that obligation, right? And you can have communism where it's always going to fail, or you can have capitalism where people have the opportunity to make the right decision and and um there are different roles, and that's, again, one of the things where communism fails. Okay, you have the means of production in the quote-unquote hands of the people. There's still a foreman on that factory. There's still a guy in charge of the factory. There's still people that, that manage the, the shifts and everything else, and there has to be that, right? We have to have that structure, and there's going to be people at the bottom. There's going to be people at the top. Now, one thing people don't understand is that the people at the top, most of the time, and there's still people that take advantage of it and everything— it is not like it's in and of itself better to be at the top. There are disadvantages and advantages of being in a position of, of high leadership as much as there are advantages and disadvantages of being the lowest class worker that there is. And um, there's a quote by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He said, if they are free, they are not equal. And if they are equal, they are not free. And it's one of those things that, that well, gets to the core of, of this uh, aspect of communism, but you can't. You have to have different roles, and that that is not by any means a, a new concept, right? You'll you'll have some people that'll take what you're saying, take what we're talking about, and say, well, you know, at least you know, okay, you're still taking this idea from communism or from socialism. It's like, well, no, that idea has been around. Well, one from the Bible, but it's been around for millennia, and even in our own history, and and especially kind of some of the old vestiges of feudalism in uh, the, the aristocratic class of, of both the southern United States and the north, but it was a little more um, both important and more significant in the south, and something that, that your manor lords and your nobles, a concept that was common even back in the Middle Ages was noblesse oblige, and I'm probably not saying that quite correct, but it's noblesse basically... Oblige. Yes, thank you. And, and it's the okay. responsibility of the nobles or the, the people that are in charge of the manor or the people that own the plantation or whatever the case might be towards their people. And that, yes, I'm the one that, that, that owns all this, and I'm the one that, that reaps the most of the profits, perhaps, but that comes with responsibility and that's to make sure that the people under me are taken care of that's to make sure especially in the middle ages where the noble or the the manor lord or whatever would have likely had much legal control over the people to make sure that justice is done to make sure that thefts are taken care of to make sure that that everything goes as smoothly as it should and that their people can live the kind of lives that they need to live yeah the 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 people under them the peasants might not make all this money and they might not have a big old house but they're also taken care of, or they're supposed to be. And, of course, we see in the Middle Ages that didn't always happen. Uh, but uh, but that was what was supposed to go on, and it's an, it's a practice of what you talked about with the, the responsibility if you're in charge to treat your people right and if you're working for the, per, if you're working for the man, quote-unquote, to do your mm -hmm. job and do it well. And uh, that is not a new idea. And, yes, it is necessary for capitalism to work. But as we've already talked about, communism 
completely rejects that and always fails partly because of that very reason. Exactly. You know, uh, St. Paul talks about, you know, if you want to eat, you have to work. Exactly. Yeah. That's communism wants to get rid of that. And it just wants to, Oh, it's all the fault of the upper classes. And once we overthrow the upper classes and the vestiges of their power, then everything will be fine. It doesn't work. Right. We've seen how that's worked in basically every, almost in many revolutions throughout all of history. Uh, exactly. It's not even even like the French Revolution stuff. That's not the first time that kind of thing happened. And no, uh, you had rebellions and civil wars and all sorts of stuff like that. And if it right. wasn't based off the right thing, it turned into the same kind of blood bla- bloodbath that the French Revolution did, or exactly. that the, the communist revolution, the Lenin Revolution, uh, the nineteen. I'm sorry, the nineteen seventeen. What did they yeah, call exactly. that? I mean- it was in 1917. There was a particular name they called it, and I'm drawing blank. But the the communist revolution in in the in Russia and China and so on and so forth. Yes, the the ideas of the French Revolution, I think, directly led to the Bolshevik Revolution. Um, the idea that we can a step away from God and create a perfect society, and that it's all the upper classes' fault, and so the what we should do is just overthrow the upper classes create this utopia for workers. Um, and how do you do that? By getting rid of everything from the old system. The French Revolution, you know, horrendously persecuted the Catholic Church, which was very strong in France. Um, uh, for example, in the famous Notre Dame Cathedral, they took a prostitute from the streets, put her on a beer, B-I-E-R, not the, the beverage, um, and carried her through the streets proclaiming she was the goddess of wisdom and then sat her on the high altar of the cathedral oh, next, wow. to, next to busts of Voltaire, Rousseau, and Benjamin Franklin. <laughs> Just throw in old um, Benjamin there for, for, exactly. for kicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Benjamin Franklin, the man who wrote treatises on how to seduce old women and passing gas. Yeah. That... that uh, uh, some American pride right there. <laughs> uh, in, a, in, in any event, um, another key error of communism that I'd like to touch on is that it denies the rights of the family and it denies that it's the basic social unit. Um, in the Soviet Union, uh, in the early days, women were encouraged to not get married, to have abortions, to have free sex, to work outside of the home. Uh, children were also seen as property of the state, and their education was completely in the hands of the government. Sounds familiar. Um, Scarily so. Exactly. We see that today, where women are told, you know, you know, marriage is kind of an old fuddy-duddy idea, and you can really just have sex with whoever you want um, without consequences. And children, wasn't it in... Virginia, where the Democratic um, candidate for the governorship said that the state owns the children. I believe that is correct, yeah. And probably one of the big things that helped Youngkin win in Virginia. Very true, which we're all very glad for. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, and we see that today where children are, you know, being told to get the jab and, you know, that it's really good for them and you know, you can go against your parents and what they wish and what they think and go and get this vaccine. Um, and there have been cases of where kids are being snuck off to go get the vaccine. And 
where the state is, you know, doing nothing to protect the rights of the parents over their own children. Um, it's eerily similar. Yes, it is. And it's been happening a lot with um, a transgenderism and mm-hmm. uh, that sort of thing, trying to, to sneak kids into transitioning and getting them on hormones uh, aside from their parents' knowledge and, and a lot of different stuff like that. And uh, it's one of those things where you talk about, you know, blaming the upper class, right? And blaming, blaming somebody else for, for all the problems in the world. And um, we see that it's, it's kind of the brilliance of blaming the upper class, right? Because it's like, well, technically they are responsible, right? I mean, if somebody's in charge of a factory, well, they're responsible at the end of the day if that factory fails or succeeds and for how the people are treated and everything. Or your parents or with a lot of the modern uh, theories on uh, ethnic relations and everything, well, it's all somebody else's fault, right? And mm. it's it's not like I have any personal responsibility. It's somebody else's fault. And it also makes it a lot easier to, to get people into giving up their property and to not defending property because they think it's they, they basically think it wasn't theirs in the first place. What little they got, they barely scraped out from an unjust system that was going to keep them from, from anything um, that they, they could possibly get a hold of from any advancement in life or anything else. And so it's like, well, property becomes to a certain degree, meaningless because of this, this victim mentality, because of um, blaming someone else for your issues, which even when you get to one of the core issues with transgenderism, one of the core motivations of transgenderism is blaming someone or something else for your issues. You were born in the wrong body and, and or whatever the case might be. And uh, so then you look to a different authority figure, i.e. the government, uh, for the solutions to those problems. And you see that with, with affirmative action and, and a lot of different things. And that's sort of a different issue, but it does get to that same problem. And probably, I guess, the most influential incarnations of it in our country, because make no mistake, it's happening in our country if we're willing to see it. Yes. It just may be in a slightly different cloak, right? Slightly different outfit. I'm glad you mentioned it because that's something I actually wanted to touch on. Communism is not dead and it's not just in China or North Korea. You see communism and wherever you see the government trying to achieve total and unreserved power and especially to create an international new world order dominated by this totalitarian regime. It might not go by the name of communism, Bolshevism, Marxism, Leninism as in the days past. But it's still an incarnation of that communist idea of blaming the other, uh, having a brutal struggle, and out of that struggle having the synthesis, um, you know, the struggle between the the thesis and the antithesis, and having the synthesis come out of it, which is what they want, an international new world order dominated by really a communist regime. It's funny. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because a lot of people, the way you phrased it, they may be like, "Oh, New World Order," or like I've heard that before, or whatever. But the funny thing about, I say funny, um, disturbingly ironic thing about it is that's nothing new. I mean, how many people, Hitler, Napoleon, 
some of the Caesars. Uh, you can name all these people. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, probably. I guess he would have been focused. Some, definitely some of the Babylonian kings, the Assyrian kings. All these different people in positions of power throughout history have tried to create a new world order. It's nothing new. Granted, the world might have been a little smaller for them, but travel was harder. And so, in effect, it was about the same, really, honestly. And it's just now for us today, because of how close we've gotten, because of our advances in transportation technology and communication technology, it's a lot. It, it could actually be most of the globe, right? But it's not new. It's, it, is, it is, again, one of the consistent cycles of history that somebody comes along and tries to conquer the world. Exactly. And what is that preparing us for? If you're a believer, you believe that there will be an end to all things, that there will be an end of the world. Right. And one of the things that we believe in is that there will be a man who will set himself up as the leader of a one world government, the Antichrist. All of these things that you mentioned, the Babylonians, the Romans, um, they were all types of this. I'm not saying that the new world order that we're seeing today is the Antichrist. I think it might just be a forerunner of that. But the stage is definitely being set. Um, and that is what communism... When, com when the Bolsheviks took over Russia, uh, priests were calling it a type of the reign of Antichrist because the church was being ruthlessly persecuted and it was not just supposed to be constrained to one country. Communism has as its explicit goal world domination, to create a world socialist republic which will eventually, according to them, result in a communist utopia. Right. Not confined to China or Russia or, you know, Venezuela. It's supposed to dominate the entire earth. That's really and, interesting. I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't actually know that about some of what um the Catholic Church taught on I guess what you might call the end times, right? The that sort of those sorts of issues. That's really interesting um that you bring that up. Exactly. I mean and you know, there are some people that I know who believe that we are in those days today. Um, I don't personally believe that uh, the church has not made any definitive statements about uh, uh, today being the, the yeah, final Yeah, that, that probably would have, have, have ended up on the news at some point or another. <laughs> yeah, well, it probably would, yes. As bad as the um, news is, that, that'll, that'll make it around. <laughs> exactly. Um, but whether this is a type of the reign of Antichrist or we're actually getting ready for the real thing, it's serious. Oh, absolutely. And, and communism is not dead. It's alive and well, even in the United States. It just goes by a different name, and it's been introduced through the back door. Yes, because uh, it's one of those things when you have a people that are, are relatively moral and, and relatively uh, knowledgeable. Well, I mean, compared to most people throughout history, very educated, very intelligent, and are relatively moral, have in general, a very general sense, the right priorities, you can't, you can't go up against them at the front, right? If you have a, a walled city that has great defenses, you're not going to attack the main gate. You're going to go around, you're going to find a back way, or like, what was it, the, the um, Persians did with Babylon, because Babylon was such a, a, a magnificent, the, the city itself, the capital of Babylon, that was the name of the capital, wasn't it? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought it was. It was it was a massive city. It was super heavily fortified and it was of course, you know, humans being humans, well nobody could take it. Well, what the Assyrians did is they found a back way. There was a there was a metal grate basically um that that had a um a, a 
river or stream going through it so they could get fresh water to the city and the Persians snuck in there and they managed to get through there and they ended up destroying the city and that's the way that you deal with those defenses you don't take them head on you have to work your way in you have to do I don't know if devious is the right word but you have to be clever and you have to come in that back way if you if you hope that it works and that happens in war and that happens in culture and that's a great point that you make and one reason that it's so important to have these discussions and why it would have been a hundred years ago when this wasn't a problem to have still had these discussions because that's when we let our guard down is when we think our defenses are great. And unfortunately now I feel like we're doing more damage control than anything. Um, but it's still perfectly applicable. Exactly. And I would say that, you know, if you look at history after the second world war, Uh, The Soviet Union definitely had agents in this country. That is a fact. Um, We hung a few of them. (laughs) Yeah, we did, exactly. Um, uh, But political agents who were influencing think tanks and the culture, um, the sexual revolution of the 60s, for example. Yeah. Um, And sorry to say, um, they even influenced things like the civil rights movement. Yeah, Um, they did. Uh, there was, you know, J. Edgar Hoover suspected uh, Martin Luther King Jr. of being a communist agent. And I'm not saying he was, I'm not saying he wasn't. The facts just point to that there was at least reason to suspect him of that. If I remember um, right, I actually, I know what you're talking about. I think there was something where it was, there were people that were like in his close circle that were, or probably were, but of course, you know, him being him, it, it's going to look like it's it's... It's his, it's going to be him. But I know what you're talking about. And yeah, I mean, well, Martin Luther King Jr. himself was a socialist, an admitted socialist. And that doesn't mean he did some, that doesn't mean he didn't do some great things. That doesn't mean he didn't have some great speeches and he wasn't dead on on things like we talked about earlier. But we have to recognize the, uh, the influences of these subtleties, right? The, these, the the snakes in the grass, if you will, right? Because they exactly. aren't going to attack on the front. They're going to come in the back door, and we need to realize and be awake. And I guess if you really want to accurately use the term woke, right, we need to be awake right. and, 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 and conscious that they're not going to come from the front, and they're going to come in ways we don't expect. They're going to come in through the, the civil rights movement, maybe. They're going to come in through um, the colleges and universities, which, of course, is probably one of the main areas that they had their biggest influence and still do right. today. But even 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 movements as as justified as the civil rights movement could have had and and seems like almost definitely did have their well definitely did just to what extreme or to what extent they had those influences and we need to recognize that and, and uh, excellent point thing, yeah and also in things like the news media and the entertainment industry yep look look at the news today and look at Hollywood today they're all indoctrinated brainwashed leftists by and large yeah and they are pushing their worldview on the american people in such a way that would make mccarthy blush (laughs) yes um and make people think huh maybe he had a point (laughs) yeah Um, well it's funny one sad point on that um when mccarthy had his whole his whole um investigation of hollywood back in what was was what was that 53 i think um, I believe so. he had this big investigation of Hollywood and, and Ronald Reagan, he was an actor at the time. That's what he did for a, a large portion of his life or a significant mm-hmm. portion. And, um, he was, a, he was the head of the anti-communist union, uh, actors union, I think. 
But uh, mm-hmm. he testified before Congress, and several actors did. And a lot of people, especially socialists and communists, will try and say, well, look, the government tried to censor people and tried to, to push its political viewpoint. And that's aside from the fact of that like, communism, if, if any thing could be censored communist you could argue communism could be but um but at the same time they found communists in hollywood they actually (laughs) tried like yes okay it was in in a sense you could say the government shouldn't have gone that way but they found communists it wasn't like they didn't find anybody and it was a witch hunt they actually Mm -hmm. found them they and they there were people that got in trouble and lost careers and stuff because of it so even then where you could perhaps make the argument that it went overboard at times and I don't know that may not that may not really be the case but even if you make that argument they still found them they were still there and it was still a real threat even if perhaps it was overblown and honestly I kind of don't know that it was exactly I mean look look around you I think that the world yes. that we're in now is a result of the subtleties of these communist agents in you know every aspect of public American life, whether it's the government or the news media or Hollywood, the entertainment industry, religion, religion, it's especially religion. I would say, look at the modern institution that calls itself the Catholic church. It's very leftist Mm -hmm. and very liberal. Uh, It produces people like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and doesn't do anything to stop them. Yeah. And uh, even, even back in the 60s and stuff like that, when you had the, the, the sexual revolution and, of course, the hippie movement, right? You had hippies that weren't necessarily these turning to completely to Eastern religions um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of the far, li- far leftism, right, uh, which really probably started to expand and blossom in the 60s. Um, right. And uh, yet there were still these kind of people that influenced and affected churches all across the country. Mm-hmm. And and not in a good way either. No, I mean, look at any of the mainstream Protestant denominations, the Methodists, the Lutherans. Um, they're supporting things which would make Methodists and Lutherans from a hundred year ago, hundred years ago, want to rip their hair out. Right. Yeah. It's and this is all because of little things, subtle things that build up over time. Because that's how communism works. It doesn't always come out in this giant burst of a revolution like in 1917 in russia yeah in our own country they work subtly and slowly that's how they worked in spain in the 1930s um that's how they were working in germany right after the first world war there were examples of violent revolution um like with rosa luxembourg but the culture was the first thing they attacked yes Uh, look at berlin in the 1930s before the rise of the nazi party it was called sodom by a lot of people because they had, you know, openly promiscuous um, sex in the streets, prostitution, including homosexual prostitution, things which you wouldn't have imagined in the 1930s. Right. But it yeah. was it was right there. Why? Because of communist influence and cultural domination. And one um, thing people don't realize about not about Germany in the 30s and actually several European countries that maybe that didn't go as far as Germany, of course, but still were mm-hmm. affected by it is one of the things that gave Nazism a, a much-needed push that it, that it needed to actually become popular and those sorts of things was communism because communism was, was being pushed in these countries, and there were people that were like, well, this is—I'm not a communist. I hate communism, and ironically, they went for a, a, a political system that is in many ways identical to communism, but right. um, at least in its effects. But uh, 
that was actually a big thing at the time. You had communist revolutionaries, and yes, they were subtle, and sometimes they turned violent. But that was one of the one of the big things that gave the the the, the early Nazis, including Hitler, and and the relatively small number that they were, especially early on, the mm-hmm. uh, the political oomph to actually get anywhere was the rise of communism in Germany and how much it scared people, and they went too far in the other direction. Yes, and when the war had already started, um, the Waffen-SS had volunteers from all over Europe. Why? Because the Nazis were painting their war, especially in the East, as a crusade against communism. Yes. And they would utterly and totally destroy communism, of course, replacing it with, I would say, an equally terrible system. Right. But there you have it. It was a real threat at the time. Yeah, and I mean, the Russians themselves... This is something, and we're getting a little off into history. I don't want to get too far yeah. off, especially if I get talking about some things. But, uh, but the yeah. Russians, they had thousands and thousands of defectors to the German army because they wanted to beat Stalin. They wanted to beat communism, and it was destroying their country. And Stalin had very little support among the people, and most of what he had was, of course, forced at the point of a bayonet. And mm-hmm. uh, and. So Russia, perhaps the the least likely you would expect volunteers for to fight against communism, was one of them that gave perhaps some of the most volunteers. But yes, lots of countries all over Europe that had these volunteers in the SS, and and they had their what was they called them the foreign I think they called them foreign legions. I, I've I've watched several videos. There's a one particular historian that's talked about a lot of these, and some of them were really good fighters too. And and granted, late in the war, a lot of them started to defect and try and get away, but. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them, it was, I'm going to fight against communism, and if this is going to stop communism, well, sign me up. Exactly. It, it was a real threat in the 20th century, and it's a real threat in the 21st century. Yeah. And- from, from places that are explicitly communist, like China, which is, you know, rising, you know, as a threat to the United States. Right. But also within our own country. Yes. Um, for many decades. And this is something that I'm probably going to do another full episode on. There's a lot of things I want to get to eventually, but I do want to take a point, a moment, and, and kind of what we've been talking about with that there are people out there, there are communist agents, and it's not like it's been a secret, especially in the 50s where we, in 60s, where we actually caught a lot of them, or some of them anyway. And and if you just look around you where you see college professors that are promoting these things and, and you know, wherever you see it, which unfortunately is a lot of places in the U.S., and you get to this idea of conspiracy theory, and and especially if you ever talk about yeah. somebody trying to conquer the world or all the, that's, I want to spend more time on it. But what is a conspiracy theory? It's a theory that there is a conspiracy, and what's a conspiracy? It's people working together to accomplish a goal. In the way that we use conspiracy, it's almost always sinister, right? It's evil or problematic. Again, we see that all throughout history. <laughs> yes. that is, and communism, of course, is like one of the textbook examples. But it's not like people haven't conspired to do evil things. When And this is something I've talked about in the Kentucky as well, especially when people reject God, when they get too much power, more power than any one person or group of people is meant to have over other people. When they get too much money and influence, they tend towards that sort of corruption. What was it that I believe it was Patrick Henry said? Power it was Patrick Henry or Thomas Paine, I don't remember which. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And these people want power. They're greedy, and it's not always for money, right? They're greedy for influence and control and power, 
And again, that is the record of history. That's where a lot of the worst people come from. And it's not always big-time tyrants that try and conquer the world, although we've had our fair share of those. Sometimes it's the local business owner down the block, or sometimes it's the, the, the preacher or minister or whatever in the local church. It's nothing new, and we shouldn't... The, the the promotion of conspiracy theory as a fanatical subculture has been an active uh, effort to disregard any potential threat. Because like we've talked about, they're going to come in subtle. And conspiracy theories are about little things. They're about little things that have changed. They're about movements that aren't obvious, that aren't reported in the news. They're about, you know, all these different issues that are very quiet and very subtle and they're coming in that back door and that should be where we're watching the closest because that's where people uh, evil people that are trying to gain this kind of control whether it's for in the name of communism or some other similar philosophy they're going to come in the back door and that's where we should be watching and the fact that people make note of that and sometimes conspiracy theories get crazy i mean we're people we like yeah. fiction we like stories sometimes they do get out there but the fact that people are trying to at least get you to think that there might be something out there and you disregard it because well that's a conspiracy that sounds too crazy to be true well winston churchill said truth is stranger than fiction it was winston yes. churchill yeah and uh that's the truth <laughs> right and reality is oftentimes not what we expect and the best way to prepare for that is to to take that bias out of our mind that it couldn't possibly be this way. That's too crazy. If it sounds crazy, there's a decent chance that somebody's trying it, <laughs> especially when you're talking about super powerful people that are already control huge portions of the economy, both world economy and local, national economy, huge portions of, of, the, of the world militaries and whatever the case might be. That's nothing new, no. and it shouldn't be surprising or inconceivable to us. Precisely. Winston Churchill also said the victors write the history books. <laughs> yes. So the official narrative is controlled oftentimes by those in control. Yes. So I, I would say never just accept something at face value. Always dig deeper. What What's really going on here? Read behind the headlines, as it were. Um, Try and get to sources as much as you can, especially it's easier if you study history, but uh, even for news, try and go to the original sources of the, the stories and the reports, if at all possible. Yes. So as we've said, and I'm kind of wrapping up uh, my thoughts and the Catholic Church's thoughts on communism. It's a, the threat is alive and real. It didn't go away with the fall of the Soviet Union. And it's not going away because China is, you know, not exactly Marxist-Leninist anymore. Um, the threat of communism is real. What are we going to do about it? There are two different aspects which we have to tackle if we're going to tackle communism. The first is the natural aspect. Research the issues at hand. Don't just allow yourself to be pressured into accepting um, things how they are in culture or in government. Don't be pressured into making certain healthcare decisions that you have a right to make for yourself. Um, organize in your communities, uh, for, and there are many ways you can do that. For example, at the church I go to in Cincinnati, um, on the first Tuesday of every month, the, the local tea party actually gets together and has a meeting. Um, there are things like that in your communities. You can find them very easily by looking them up on the internet. Uh, Write or call your local and Congress representatives and protest if you must or wish. Um, of course, peacefully. 
and safely and soundly. The other aspect, just as we had the natural aspect, there's the supernatural aspect. Get on your knees and pray. Um, if you are a Catholic uh, listening or if you're just interested, especially pray the rosary. Um, we've mentioned many times in this podcast the Bolshevik Revolution, which occurred in 1917. In that same year, in Fatima, Portugal, um, the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared several times to three shepherd children, um, asking for prayers, penance, especially the rosary. She said that the daily, ro the daily recitation of the rosary was the weapon for attaining world peace and a defeat of communism, which she termed as Russia's errors. And as I said, this was the exact same year that Russian Bolsheviks were to overthrow the liberal Kerensky government and institute the beginnings of the Soviet Union. Um, so I would really, really recommend a prayer of the rosary. Um, if you don't know how to pray the rosary, uh, I think we're going to mention this later, but I have a YouTube channel, uh, which is just under my name, Hunter Lombatis. You can contact me through there, and I would be more than happy to provide sources for you. That that's uh, that's really interesting. I, I don't think I I don't think I've ever heard that. That's that's quite interesting. Yeah, the the Fatima story is very remarkable because it's the last approved Marian apparition uh, by the Church, um, meaning that the Church has approved of it as being worthy of belief that Mary did actually appear in Fatima, Portugal, in 1917, and she gave a lot of warnings to the world. Um, she said to three shepherd children who didn't even really, who didn't know how to read. Um, she told them that Russia should be consecrated to her immaculate heart. And that if that happened, there would be a, an era of peace for the world. And if that did not happen, many countries would disappear and Russia would spread her errors throughout the world. And we've seen that today. Um, many countries and people just absolutely decimated by the last two world wars and many wars in between. Um, and the spread of Russia's errors, even to the United States, as we've seen, communism is not, you know, just Marxism, Leninism, red flag waving. It's also in the subtle liberalization of our culture and in the creeping powers of a totalitarian state. Yeah, that's oh. that's fascinating. And yes, we I I a hundred percent agree with you on we, we have to be working, right? And we have to I I really like that you, you specifically mentioned the two parts, right? Do what you can locally, do what you can uh in, in, in politically and, and taking action and um and get on your knees and pray. <laughs> uh, it's because uh, Unlike communists, we accept reality for the whole of reality. You know, we don't divorce the natural from the supernatural. Right. Um, there are both sides to it. That, and that is a fascinating, fascinating story about Fatima, Fatima. How did you say that? Brazil? Uh, Fatima. Fatima. Uh, Our Lady of Fatima. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, thank you so much. I know we're kind of wrapping up here. Um, I do have one question, though. You basically answered my questions, but I did have one, and you can answer this quickly. Uh, does the Catholic Church have, have a preferred form of government? That is a very good question. The Church does not really meddle in politics too much, meaning in the human manner of politics. Uh -huh. She does not endorse one political ideology over another. 
Um, in her golden age, the system that prevailed was the feudal system, and where you know the classes worked together, and uh, the government was limited, so to speak. Right. Um, you didn't have this uh, looming absolute monarch over you at all times, and really, it was more localized. Yeah, because even, even when you had a king, they they're even if they were absolute in name, realistically, they did not have absolute power or even close to it. Exactly. And I would say that that system kind of works best in a Catholic way, but the Catholic Church can easily thrive in a republic, a monarchy. Um, she always takes issue with totalitarianism, that I will say, um, whether it's an absolute monarch or a fascist or a communist. The, the church recognizes her own rights, and it also recognizes the rights of uh, mankind, rightly understood, not in the, you know, you can do whatever you want. Uh, real liberty is understood, the right, the, the right to do good, the right to choose the right thing. Yes. Um, so uh, the only time the church has ever really condemned uh, a political system or a political ideology is when we're talking about things like fascism and communism and totalitarianism. Wow. All right. Well, I was kind of curious. I kind of, if I thought that's probably what I would have guessed based off what we've talked about, but I wanted to see what you had to say on that. So uh, it's been really great, Hunter. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time both to prepare and to talk to us. Um, you mentioned you do have a YouTube channel. Would you like to give that name again? It's just uh, yeah. Certainly, yes. Uh, my YouTube channel is just my name, Hunter Lombatus, um, which is, you know, Hunter and Lombatus, L-U-M-B-A-T-I-S. I don't know why I spelled that, because you can probably see my name on the title of this. <laughs> I, I That's okay. <laughs> Uh, just, in case, just in case you were wondering if I could spell my own last name. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> um, so and that's, again, Hunter Lombatus. That's the name of the YouTube channel if you'd like to check that out. I'll also have it linked in the description below uh, so you all can check that out. Again, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, really glad you came on. I hope that it's been good for you, that you've gotten something out of it too. I know that I have, and uh, I think that... Uh, it will be of, of great use to, to my listeners as well. I hope that you yeah. all have enjoyed this episode of the Kentuckian. Don't forget about our Facebook, the Kentuckian. This is not Hunter. <laughs> the Kentuckian uh, Facebook, Gab, and Instagram pages. As a quick reminder on Gab, that is a Facebook alternative. Uh, Facebook has a lot of censorship, a lot of issues, and I would recommend you check that out if that's something you're interested in. Those pages are great, great ways to reach out to the Kentuckian if you have any kind of feedback, questions, comments, or whatever. Um, and if y'all like or follow those pages, whatever's applicable, that'll help you keep up to date and, uh, help me reach more folks as well. So you'll know when new stuff comes out and you'll help me spread the word. Don't forget the Kentuckians YouTube channel, uh, as we do have some exclusive content there. And of course, don't forget Hunter's YouTube channel and please take a moment to share this episode with somebody. I'm sure that, uh, you can think of somebody that would probably be interested or might be interested. And, uh, don't forget that. Reaching even just one person makes a difference. Don't forget that. If you'd like to help me in a more personal way, my Patreon, along with all the other mentioned resources uh, for the Kentuckian, are linked in the description below. And remember, friends, as long as you and I are doing what's right, we make a real difference in this old world. Mm.
the Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.